Hi, I'm Rifka. And I'm Ida. Welcome to the From the Inside Out podcast. We are entrepreneurs and friends who love connecting through meaningful conversations. It all started in an Uber, where we were both inspired by each other's life experiences. We decided then and there to create this platform because we believe in the power of connection and growth through sharing our experiences. Here we share research-backed tools, tips, and shortcuts, and interviews with some of our world's greatest thinkers, leaders, and everyday heroes who inspire us to create positive change in mind, body, and soul. From the inside out. Welcome back to From the Inside Out in 2021. First First episode episode of the new year. And it's actually the beginning of a new season for us on our podcast. And if you that don't know, there are seasons. I didn't know this before I started a podcast. Did you know this, Ida? I think we're learning as we go. Yes. Been our MO. Yeah. Yes. We set out on this path with a mission to learn and share our knowledge and continue on our journey of growth. And we are humbled to have reached the top 10% of podcasts based on the number of downloads. And it's downloads in the many thousands and more subscribers joining this platform every day from around the world. We actually can't believe it. And we are very grateful to you for listening and sharing our episodes. If you haven't subscribed yet, now would be a great time to subscribe so you don't miss some exciting guests and interviews coming up. We love seeing your reviews too. They give people insight into why they should join our conversations. And it is very meaningful to us to read them and hear your feedback. So don't forget to write a review too. Yes, it's been an amazing experience doing this with you, Rifka, especially having gone into this with no expectation, really. We just did it because we wanted to learn. We wanted to share our knowledge. And, you know, I think one of the things that makes us unique is that we bring the Hasidic dimension into each episode and really extract the best of what we've learned and what has worked for us, the key components, like, and share that with you. But many hours go into planning, the planning, the organizing, the research, the editing. We really, we do it all ourselves. And it's a Um, labor of love. It really is. We want to make your time here worthwhile and we appreciate you being here. And as always, we welcome feedback, all feedback, which can be emailed to Rifka and Ida at gmail.com, Rifka with an H. And we hope to hear from you. So with the new year often comes a feeling of new possibility, right? This is a new season and many people create New Year's resolutions and hoping that, you know, with the clean slate, they can make changes to improve their lives, which is great. But the only problem is that the majority of people do not stick to their New Year's resolutions. I think the number is at 90% now. So the vast majority are not sticking to the goals they set for themselves. And it can be because either the goals are unrealistic or they're not sustainable. But the bottom line is maintaining New Year's resolutions is a lot harder than we think. And so we are here today doing this episode on what are the things that we believe based on our research and on things that we've actually implemented in our lives, what are the things that we believe will lead you on a path to becoming part of that 10% of people who do stick to their New Year's resolutions? That's our goal. Yes, exactly. We share the things that worked for us and that's what we're here to do. We're sharing this with you. And, you know, Rifka, you and I are both kind of late bloomers. Like we've discovered these tools Just recently. Well, this is one of the many reasons that we relate to to each other is being late bloomers. But, you know, as the saying goes, it's never too late. And sometimes too late is just in time. Sometimes I'd be upset at myself. Why did I start internalizing all this so late? And I realized I had to go through that process in order for me to internalize it the way I do now. 
Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Totally. I can relate to that. And I remember, in, you know, when I started college, I was 25 and I had two kids. And I remember thinking, like, should I sign up for this class? Does it even make sense? You know, I, I mean, now looking back, I feel like I was so young. I was in my 20s. But back then, I thought I was old. Like, I was too old to start college. Everybody else was 18 and I was so much older. And I remember someone telling me that 10 years will go by whether or not you do this. So in 10 years from now, I'll probably have wanted to do this, you know? So you have to think in those terms. Time is going by regardless. Do the things you want to do. Um, high school, I did really poorly academically. I, the only A I saw on my report card was the A in my name. There was no A. <laughs> and now I just saw recently, you got your results, your finals in psychology, and every single one was an A. So there you go. Yeah. I, you know, I have a 4.0 graduate GPA, which I would have never imagined possible. And I think that that's a part of the reason um, I've been able to accomplish that is because I really enjoy the learning process in a way that maybe I wouldn't have had I started going right. at 18. Not to say that someone who's 18 yeah, shouldn't not go, to but say, everybody- Exactly. I'm very happy with someone- Yes. Yeah. Not to say yeah. that we're that old. <laughs> <laughs> we still have a lot of growing to do. <laughs> Before we dive in, we want to acknowledge how this year has been a difficult one for many we have seen many tragedies that have been very painful. If you are still struggling, reach out to someone for help. Without support, it can really be difficult and sometimes impossible to manage. And there is tremendous power in being able to talk to someone you trust about what you're going through. So having this in mind, as we share these tips for this coming year, you may find it really helpful in discovering ways to feel comfortable to open up about your particular struggle or challenge, and also ways to be there for someone else that is struggling, and especially in the last tip that we're going to share today, which is an approach to how to answer your own question or somebody else's question. These are the five things that we put together. We actually worked on it separately, and then we came together and realized a lot of uh, the things that have helped us were very similar. So we brought each of our tips together into five things that we believe will help guide you on the road to success, because these are things that have helped us and continue to help us. Right. And not in any particular order. And we say five things because some are in the form of tips and some are not. So Ida, okay. you, you share the first one. This is your tip. Okay. So the first tip is clear out clutter. This tip is about looking back at your year and noticing what worked, what didn't work, what was the best use of your time? Where did you waste it? You know, what would you have done differently if you could go back? And this is not about regret. It's really about learning from your experience and becoming aware of how you spend your time and what's important to you. And I love the analogy of clearing out clutter because it's reminiscent of your closet. And I like the closet analogy because for the longest time, like I used to accumulate all this stuff. And I noticed that when I traveled, when we, when we traveled, I took what I needed. And then when I got to where I was going, it was so much easier to find what I needed. And it's kind of like everyone has that thing that they know they'll never wear, but they can't seem to get rid of. And I like to compare that to a bad habit or a habit that's not working for you, but that you're constantly doing. And perhaps you can do better without it, right? You can clear out that clutter. Right. And even when you have this one thing that you're always wearing, like the little black dress that you grab when you don't have anything else to wear. So I like to compare that to something that works for you 
right? right? That you should keep handy for the year. So that's really essentially what clearing out clutter means. And if you're looking back and the way I do it is like, I take, it's almost like taking inventory. Like what are the things that held me back? What are the things I wish I did more of? And I do this by looking at my calendar. So I look back at my year and think about what I wish I had done more of. And I commit to doing more of that in the coming year. A good way to to look back is maybe if you had a journal this past year, or if you had a calendar, or, and if you don't know, maybe asking someone that you love, someone in your family, someone who's close to you, um, you know, what were my high points this year? What would you say I should do more of? Sometimes, you know, another person can help us out when we don't really know. So if you don't have a clarity, reach out. But I love this tip because I feel like it really is a good way to start the year. I love the analogy with the closet. You're inspiring me to go clean out my closet. There's actually research that when you clear out physical clutter, you also clear uh, mental clutter. So totally clean out your closet. Another great idea. Yeah. And you mentioned journal. And if you've been listening to our episodes, you know how Ida and I are such fans and advocates of writing things down. So if you have a journal, that's a great way to look back and find those things. And if not, we say start journaling. I thought this was really cute. I had read this. Um, When you do journaling, it's researching yourself. It's a me-search, research, me-search. So you're really, yeah, you're tapping into your struggles, your strengths, what you can learn from them. So I love that whole thing of doing a me-search. I actually did my proverbial closet cleaning on Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. And through my me-search, I discovered that I like that me-search. I discovered that there were a few things that worked. And one of them is, and I like sharing this because it's very simple and it's easy to implement and anyone can do it. That is just charging my phone away from my bed, like where I can't see it or reach it. And that's been so helpful because what ended up happening is that had me going to bed earlier. And then I was able to wake up earlier and jumpstart my day. And then things just kind of, there was this ripple effect that that one little action you know, had those little things that make a big difference. So that's one thing, um, waking up an hour earlier, Yeah, that's something I took on this year. Thanks to you. I saw you did that and how much you were accomplishing. And so um, by getting up that hour early before the kids, and it's one of the best things I have done this year, hands down. That's amazing. Thank you, Ida. My my pleasure. And I hope that (laughs) obviously not for everybody, especially people who have like little babies at home, but I really find that I, I initially tried it just as an experiment. Let me see how this works. And then I started doing it. And then I was able to look back and say, okay, based on my experience waking up early, I definitely feel that I should continue in this specific pattern of waking up early because it's working for me. That's the gist of this is that I look back, I asked what worked, I continued doing more of what did work and less of what didn't work in the same way that when I clean out my closet, I keep the stuff that I've worn and I get rid of the stuff that either I never wear or didn't work for me or things that would have better use somewhere else. And it was a win-win. I, you know, I, I donated everything that I got rid of. So it really felt great. I got to give at the same time. That's really nice. Yeah. It's yeah. always nice when you can do something for yourself and you're also giving. Yeah. So setting yourself up for success proactively with small steps is key. It's, it's all about small steps. And seeing which small steps really helped you create something big. Right. Exactly. Like you have to do a little, sometimes you have to do a little digging because if my goal is, let's say, to get better sleep, I break it down to what are the things that prevented me from sleeping well last year? And one of those things was that my phone was very present. And so 
I, you know, I broke it down. It's important to break it down to the smallest possible action step that you can take that supports your, you know, your goal for the year. So yeah, yeah the digging is a hard part because like you said, when you pack up for a trip and you just take your essentials, it feels so good when you're there, just, just having whatever you, you need or whatever works for you, but it's hard packing. That's true. But that's true. And I know people who have packing anxiety yeah. who get so nervous before a trip because it's so overwhelming to pack. So I totally get it. I don't I have take. packing anxiety, but I tend to take too many things and I'm learning with time to take less things. So because like we only pack in carry-ons because we don't like to check in bags when we travel, I have to be very mindful of what I'm taking with me, mm-hmm. like only the essentials, which ends up being actually really great. We can do a yeah. whole nother episode on how to pack efficiently because I think I've mastered that that habit. Did we should interview um what's her name from Spark Joy? Oh, um Mary Kondo? Yeah, we should interview Oh Mary yeah, Kondo. you know what? I'm so happy you mentioned her because she when I cleaned out my closet, I used her method. What she says is you take everything out, which could be a little extreme for some people, but I you take everything out and you only keep the stuff that sparks joy. So a good tip for for what we're talking about now is what are the yeah. things that brought you joy? this past year. So do more of those things. Let's move on to the next one. Tip number two, Rivka. This is Rivka's tip. Now is the new later. So this is all about staying focused in the present, something that uh, I am working on. One of the ways to do that is to make the journey meaningful because goals and dreams are important. And like we're doing here, we're discussing goals and dreams and um, it helps with growth and success in all aspects of life. But sometimes we're so focused on the end goal that we lose the moments on the path. And we often see people reaching their goals or dreams and they're still unhappy. If the journey along the way isn't meaningful, it's harder to enjoy the end game. The path is where real change and growth happens. And we often miss the amazing learning opportunities along the way. Like example that I'm thinking of right now, let's say weight loss. If you are doing it in a way where you're getting to your goal and it's just an extreme diet where you're just following something but not making actual change, it's just kind of getting to the goal of weight loss and then you're there and it feels empty and it's hard to maintain it because it's not a lifestyle and you, let's say, don't have the energy you would have if you took little steps towards feeling your best self, towards healthy living. It would be a lot more meaningful because you've made some solid changes along the journey. I think that's huge because I think so many of us underestimate the value of the path and the challenge that we go through and getting to like the peak. That is so important. And it's the struggles and hurdles we overcome along the way, the relationships we work hard at building and those positive habit changes we take on step-by-step. That is where the growth, the meaning, and the joy is found. This reminds me of something I once heard from Jim Carrey, and he's a famous actor and a comedian. And when he talked about his, the time when he made his first hit film, and I think he made like he made $10 million, he said, I wish for every man, woman, and child to have all their wildest dreams come true so they can see that even after that happens, you're still not happy. And we hear a lot of that. People wow. thinking if only I reach this point, then I'll be happy, but they reach it and then they're on to the next thing and always thinking happiness is just around the corner. So yeah. my tip for now is the new later is making your journey. Even though you haven't reached your goal yet, it's about making the present, the journey you're on towards the goal meaningful. Would I think what, so what Jim Carrey is saying is that the success, if the success 
and the goal is the be all and end all, mm-hmm. then don't expect to, you know, experience joy once you get there. Meaning what he's saying is that like, that's what it was about. And he realized it's got to be about the journey, not just like getting to that, that place, yes. because that's not where the happiness really lies. Right. If, if that's what it's all about. Exactly. But then when I say now is the new later, you can ask, how do we tap into the future, have that goal, and at the same time be present? There's a happiness expert and researcher named Tal Ben-Shahar, and he says we can do both. He says it's in the synthesis. We are goal-oriented. It's part of our nature, but we also want to be present. So once we have the goal, we should let go of it. We have it. We've thought of it. We know what it is. Release it. And then be present and focused on the journey. People think I can't be present if I'm future oriented and I can be future oriented and also be present, but that actually both absolutely can happen. Yes. He says it's in the synthesis. I thought that was cool. Really, it's about the journey along the way being meaningful. And that's the synthesis. Right. And you can have both. So in case you're like a planner, goal oriented type of person, just know that it's possible to to be both. That's what we aspire to for this year. That's actually very comforting because I feel like being in this state of mind allows us to let go of perfectionism because perfectionism is so much about like wanting a perfect outcome. And when we can let go, we can be focused and mindful um, in the present, which is, you know, there's this, this quote, like yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, today is a gift. And that's why it's called present. The reason I love it is because it's still acknowledging that we can have yesterday in mind, right? Use the past as a lesson on what to do in the future. And we can have the future in mind as in we are planning, but ultimately we are focused on the right now with the past and future in in context, but not worrying about either of them because that's not serving us well in the moment. This reminds me, very much reminds me of one of my clients yesterday who didn't accomplish the goal she set out to do with me. But we went through all the steps along the way and and the solid changes that she has made, even though she hadn't reached her goal. And then she was like, you know what? That's so meaningful. The things that I've actually gained from working at reaching to the goal. And even though I haven't reached it yet, I'm appreciating right now the steps that I had taken towards that. Yeah, that's really beautiful. I also feel like when you're in a present state of mind, um, it's important to remember that it's not necessarily a stress-free zone. And this actually brings us to our next thing, to our next tool, which is embracing discomfort. Embrace discomfort and prepare for roadblocks. And what that means is that as you're taking steps toward a goal, let's just assume that we've been doing this in steps, right? We look back at our year, what worked, what didn't. Then we have like an action plan, a goal that we have in mind. As we're making each moment meaningful, There might be times when things get difficult. And I found in my own experience that the goal is to not get rid of these roadblocks because they are inevitable. The goal is to manage them, right? To manage these challenges and to remember that they are part of the process. So let me give you an example, right? Let's say you're learning a new skill. Let's assume you're learning a new language. To learn a new language, you've got to break your teeth a little bit. You have to put yourself in situations that are not so comfortable probably speaking with people who are proficient in that language when you're not. um, And that can be hard. And I love this quote, every expert was once a beginner. And I actually have it framed up in my kid's room because it reminds us that discomfort is part of the process and that I can accept that. This is about accepting discomfort as a natural part of living. And just because we have the voice telling us, oh, don't do this because it's not comfortable, 
doesn't mean we have to listen to it. And our comfort zone is actually not that comfortable. It's a misnomer. It's a comfort zone that's essentially uncomfortable. I think it's important to know this. Like, can you relate to these? To this? Yes, I, I'm sitting here nodding my head. I totally relate. I like that this tip is about changing the way you understand things that are difficult. And I like to apply this to the way I think we need to approach healthy living as well. For example, you don't have to be in the mood of exercise. Sometimes you need to push past your comfort zone and actually do it. Like you're working on your insides by pushing through it and putting your struggle into action. Your insides do not have to match your outside. That voice telling you that you're too tired to exercise is not going to go away necessarily. But being mindful of that might help you see the challenge differently. There's a difference between who we are and what we do. People think, oh, I have to feel it in order to do it. And we can apply this to Hasidus in the first chapter of Tanya. Tanya is also called Sefer Shel Benoni. Just in short, a Benoni is someone who is emotionally conflicted, but behaviorally is perfect. And that is the goal for us to become a Benoni. And it takes work on the inside to get the outside results. There's three types of people. There's the Tzaddik, just to give you a little synopsis, there's three types of people. There's the Tzaddik, a Rasha, and the Benoni. So that Sadiq is the righteous person and he has perfect insights and they, he doesn't have any impulses. He wants to do what's right. That's on the inside. So his insides matches his outsides. The Russia is someone who doesn't control their behavior. He's not bad. He has the potential, but he needs to like be harnessed and guided. The Benani is a person who has impulses like the Russia and he behaves like the Sadiq. That's yeah. great. I like that. So he feels conflicted on the inside, but he, his actions don't really reflect how he's feeling on the inside. Exactly. And that really very much connects to this. Like you don't always have to feel what you're doing when you're doing it. Assume that certain things are never going to be comfortable. You're never going to enjoy them, but you're going to do it anyway, because you know that I don't have to want to do this. My inside does not have to match my outside. I can go ahead and do it. And some of these things you end up loving. Like I used to hate exercise. I love it now. I love it. Is the goal to have the match or is the goal to just do the right thing in hopes I that? Think, I think with some things they do match, but I guess in Tanya, it's interesting that Sadiq doesn't have as much of a struggle as the Benani does. And so the Benani, he's really working through those struggles to put something into action that he doesn't really feel. Like he's really, he's challenged. So if there is something that you want to do this year, let's say, and you find it so hard to do because it's uncomfortable and annoying, just remember, let it be annoying, but do it. Yes. Don't wait for it to not be annoying anymore because it will not happen if you're going to give into that impulse to not do it. And I'm sure everybody has something that maybe at one point was annoying, but they did it and then it wasn't anymore. You know what I mean? Do you have something that you didn't want to do, but you did it and then you realized it was good or with your clients? Yeah, I'll give you an example with my clients. This, just thinking about this past year, um, something that has been reoccurring with many of them is that and breakfast was not a part of their daily diet. Whether whether it was because they thought they were going to be saving calories by not having breakfast and then they'd eat less later on and they end up eating more or because they wanted to save their energy for later in the day and then in the end they ended up being more lethargic. But when we started incorporating breakfast, 
I really believe the way you begin your day sets the tone of the day. It completely changed things for them. And it's a really hard habit to take on if you have never been doing it or if you've been having cake for breakfast. Are you talking about me when you say when you're having (laughs) cake for breakfast? No, for you, I would say cinnamon buns. Oh my God. <laughs> Which is so I really, yeah, yeah. I can definitely relate to that. Actually, that's, it's funny because this is an area where I should probably adopt that principle is that I do wait. I have a coffee and a cinnamon bun every morning and then I'm starving by 10 o'clock. I'd probably be a lot better off just been eating breakfast, even though I'm not hungry. I'm really not hungry in the morning. Yeah. A lot of people would tell me that too. And, um, you know, even if you had something lighter, that it was, it was more nourishing, Right, you would still do better. Like starting starting a small step, even replacing the cinnamon bun for a healthy cinnamon bun, which you've done, and you felt which the I, difference. Well, thanks to you, I just I didn't <laughs> know I didn't know that you can that there was a cinnamon bun out there that was as good as the one I was eating <laughs> until and, until I had yours. So now you gave me hope in right, you know, in positive change. So right, I don't have to actually completely change what I'm eating, but I'll swap it out for yours. Yes. Which, is it available? Did you share that recipe on your It's on your in my website? feed. It's in my feed. It's not on my website yet, but your Instagram in my, feed? In my Instagram feed. Yes. Okay. Highly recommended. It's delicious. And I actually just started swapping out my milk. I do half oat milk and half regular milk. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm mindful. You're taking just, steps. Yeah. Even though I Actually, the oat milk is pretty good, I have to say. It's a lot better than I thought it would be. Even though your insides aren't matching your outside, you're going to take this um, step of trying to eat a better breakfast. Right. And just by the way, a side point, I think we discussed this um, a while back, but there's a book called Grit, which is essentially about how the common denominator amongst successful people is that they are willing to go through the discomfort of many failures and to tolerate discomfort on their path to success. And actually, it's not even so much despite the discomfort, but sometimes because of it that, that they keep growing. And they just know that you either learn to fail or you fail to learn. And studies show that successful people don't fail less. They actually fail more, but they understand the nature of failure and recognize um, that some of the most fundamental lessons are learned outside our comfort zone. Well, we can really apply this to us. I mean, if I really think about it, the struggles that I've been through is what brought me success or what brought me growth. I have to remind myself of that when I struggle now in certain things. Okay. This is a learning experience. This is where I'm going to grow. Right. And I also just want to dispel a myth on going out of your comfort zone. Cause I think a lot of, a lot of us think that stepping outside of your comfort zone meaning means stepping far outside. And what could happen is if you're doing something that's too uncomfortable, then you can end up giving up. And let me just, you know, give you an example. I totally agree with that. So you're not going to run a marathon before you walk a mile and you're not going to, you know, study mm-hmm. algebra before you do your times tables. Someone in my family who went to yeshiva and then decided that he wanted to go to medical school and he took his MCAS without ever having taken a biology class. And I mean, naturally he gave up because it was well beyond his zone of comfort. Right. So it's a process, you know, you do something that even if it's slightly uncomfortable, you can do it anyway, knowing that it serves you and it helps you grow as a person and become better. Um, But just be mindful of how far out of your comfort zone. It's the same with exercise, actually. Like if you, I always say, don't exercise to the point where you feel like you just have to lie down afterwards because you've worked so hard. You should work hard past your comfort zone, but to the point of energy. Last week, I actually decided suddenly that I wanted to start exercising. So I ran on the treadmill really, really fast and I was so burned out. And that was just too much. It was too much for me. Yeah. 
Okay. Good point, Ida. Okay. <laughs> tip number four is yours, Ida. Go ahead. Okay. So tip number four is, and I, I love, this is my favorite one. Um, it's called Give Yourself an A. It's based on a book called The Art of Possibility, where th- there's this college professor who's so tired of his students being focused on their grade rather than on the actual content of the class. So he tells his students in the beginning of the semester, on the first day, you're all getting an A on one condition. Take out a piece of paper and a pen and date it the last day of our semester. So it's September, you date it December. And I want you to write how you got that A. What did you have to do to get this A? And the reason he did this is because he wanted he did a few reasons, but one is that he, he wanted to examine whether that would actually make a difference. If the students knew they were getting an A and they were able to visualize the process of getting an A, would that make them more likely to get a better grade? And it turned out that it did. They were more likely to do better, just not because he said you're all getting an A, but because they were able to visualize the process of what it looks like to get an A. What did they have to do? What was their role in doing well? And it's a fascinating experiment. If I tell you to look at a tree outside right now, you look at a tree or actually look at anything that you could see within your field of vision. Just focus on this one thing, anything. Mm -hmm. It could be a book. It can be a desk. Okay. And now close your eyes and visualize it in your mind. Okay. What's happening is the same neurons in your brain are firing, whether it's actually there or you're imagining it. So that's what that is. Then suddenly it becomes real for you. Your your brain really can't, your mind doesn't differentiate. Um, And so that's why it becomes in many cases, a self-fulfilling prophecy where it's just more likely to happen because you start visualize it. So, wow. I love this thought. No, I love this thought. And it totally applies to Hasidus. Uh, I was listening to a parish and the title of the class was being nostalgic for the future. Can we be nostalgic for the future? Yes, we can. The example was from Yosef that he gave his father an old bottle of wine when he saw him. It showed how he had the faith from when he was sold and from when he didn't see him all those years. He had this wine with him to give to him one day, but he put his faith into something tangible and had the faith for the future that he was going to give this to him. Wow. So it's all about bitachon, which means faith, putting your faith, even if it hasn't happened yet, visualizing what you want, what you pray for, visualizing it now and actually getting something tangible, representing our faith that it will happen. Right. Something that inspires us. They say if you can conceive it, you can achieve it, but you have to be able to conceive it first. And part of that is, you know, thinking it, visualizing it and writing it down. Writing it down would be a tangible way. I love that example of, of writing down that you are going to get an A. Right. So here's how it works for us in the new year. And here's how it works, practically speaking, is Take a piece of paper and write down. And by the way, it's important to actually write it with a pen and paper. So don't type it on your phone, write it down and date it exactly one year from today. And you're going to write why this year was a success for you or what, what made this year great. But it's very important that you write down the things that you are able to do to make it great, not things that are outside your control. So if I'm writing it, I'm writing, okay, this past year was great because I made an effort to be kinder, you know, to the people around me or whatever it is that you want to accomplish. You know, you visualize how you want to be and then you can visualize how you're going to get there. So I just think it's so powerful. It's such a powerful exercise. I've done this with teenagers and it was just unbelievable. 
I'm not saying that you're going to go from not doing something to 100% doing it, but there's a significantly higher likelihood that it's going to get done if you intentionally plan for it and visualize it as though it's already happened. Visualizing it as though it's already happened. Now there's something else that is backed by research also where you visualize where you want to be in, what are the dreams you want to have achieved in 10 years from now? And just to clarify it. So for example, I wrote, I actually did this two years ago and I created a 10 year plan. And I did this in, um, this was part of like a, a coaching program where we were required to do this exercise. And I had to write down what are my dreams for 10 years from now? And I could wow. aim as high as I want. Nothing is out of the ordinary. Nothing is too great. Nothing is too crazy. Like literally whatever you, I can write, you know, with an Oscar if I want to, if that's one of my things that I dream about. So I'd written down 10 things and what the majority of the stuff actually happened. One of them yeah, was yeah. To, to have a podcast at the time. I didn't even like, it's, it's almost weird that I even wrote it down. You know what I mean? Like I just I'm so happy you wrote it down. <laughs> it really, I wrote it down. It was one of those things that was like, okay, it's not. I actually find this activity so exciting. Right. It is exciting. It is something exciting. for 10 years time that, that has actually happened already. And I think that they chose 10 years because it's like so far ahead that it, you can aim higher or dream more. Right. You know what I mean, you know, it reminds me of a quote. Most people overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can do in a decade. But that's exactly it. So there's, so there's two things that we're saying here. So one is the easy A analogy. So that's really my tip for, you know, what I believe worked for me is, you know, visualize a one year from now, what did I do to get there? It was a great year. Then if you want to do this too, this is also great. Visualize what are your greatest dreams for 10 years from now? And it, it's a bit of a process, but once you write them down, you kind of, you create like a, this is the next step is to write down what is the one thing that you're going to do the one thing that you're going to do each day to get closer to, to, to that, that, goal. that, to that, that uh, realization, one thing it's gotta be, it's gotta be a small thing that's doable. So that's, these are two things and I hope it's not confusing to bring in both, but if you were to choose one, I would say it, the, the, the easier thing right now to do is to say, well, what would make this year great? And I'm that's totally cool. doing that. I'm totally doing the 10 year dream. <laughs> Right, right. It's kind of like similar to our first tip, actually. Yeah, it brings back what you had said in the beginning about you going to school at 28 and and someone had said to you, well, in 10 years' time, how would you feel if you hadn't done it? And how would you feel if you had done it? Exactly. That's exactly right. And it's funny because if I, that's really what got me to do it was imagining 10 years from now, there's something about that, like looking so far ahead that it's almost like a different realm. Like, oh, I can imagine anything because that's so far away from me. But again, like you said, we underestimate what we could do in a decade. But the point is to really, and that's part of making each day meaningful is like, stop thinking about- I think about, overestimating yeah. what we can do in a year. It's just, it's just about not being so hard on ourselves if we don't end right. up doing what we wanted to do in a year. Right. And seeing the bigger picture is not being so committed to like, what can I get done by the end of this year? It's not what it's the why it's like, what drives me, but yeah, it's very powerful. And also using positive language can help as well. It's just using, remembering to use positive words when you're writing this down. So don't use like, I don't want to do this and I don't want to do that. It's what do you want? It's I can, I want, yes, I'm willing, I choose. (laughs) We actually discussed this a couple of episodes back. Um, a few episodes we've discussed power, the power of language. Yeah. Yes. And that, that will lead us actually into our last tip, tip number five. This tip is you have your answer. And um, Rabbi Sachs had sent a question into the Rebbe 
when he got the offer to become chief rabbi of the UK. And he wrote to the rabbi, should I become chief rabbi? And the rabbi wrote back to him. He just changed the two words, I and should. So instead of should I, it became I should become chief rabbi. So he had the answer in the question by just changing around the words. Wow. Yeah, this kind of opens up my next tool or tip. You have the answer. Everything you need is already there. So tip number five, you have the answer, renewal. When we find an answer to a dilemma or any question that we have, we're we're tapping into our truth. And it's something that's already there. It's a renewal. And one of the ways to do that is to figure out how to answer any question, including our own questions, someone else's question and our own questions. Rabbi Taub started an advice column um, in the Yami magazine. He actually, at that time, when he started, did not have any experience in answering people's personal dilemmas and struggles. And he decided to refer to the letters from the Lubavitcher Rebbe when he responded to real life issues of all ages and stages. He would look at those answers and he started to imitate that style of writing. And Rabbi Taub ended up doing over 400 columns. And now they are available in two books called The Ami Letters, Volume 1 and Volume 2. Highly recommended to read. And so he recently did a webinar, give you four little tips. I heard it was amazing. I heard it was really amazing. It was phenomenal. Uh, Just going to give you four things that you can do to answer your own question or answer somebody else's question in very, very, very short. I'm actually just taking one part of it. I'm just actually just giving you four little tips on how to answer a question, but there's, there's much more to unpack with this, but I found these four things to be very helpful. First of all, you need to have empathy. So if you're answering your own question, you need to have empathy for yourself. If you're answering somebody else's question, just have in mind empathy. You want to come from a place of understanding because this is one of Rabbi Shastab's quotes. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. And that's really great. So that's one thing is having empathy. Then the second thing is talking, uh, talking it out, allowing them or allowing ourselves to express our story. And one of the reasons we actually reject truths is because we don't allow ourselves to get to the point of being done with sharing a story and actually expressing it. So if we would meditate or walk or even write, like we were just discussing writing and stay focused on one thought. And by the end of that, you, you are, we would be open to receiving the truth of yourself because you've shared it. He says, you have to let them talk till they're empty or they can't receive anything because they can't receive anything when they are full. And after they're empty, they can actually listen to you. Well, if you're too full, you can't eat. You can't accept anything more. Is what you're, right, is what you're exactly. So that's one is empathy. Two is talking it out. Three is gathering the evidence. So when you've written it down or when you're hearing somebody else share their story, gather, gather the evidence of the patterns. Listen out for patterns because it's usually repetitive. Like people, we think we're sharing all different stories, but really it's one story. And that really resonated with me because when I think about different things that have gone on in my life, it, it is repetitive because I've kind of reacted the same way. But I thought they were all different stories, but really it's one big story. 
Because what you're saying is like, you have to examine the patterns, like what's going on that this keeps yeah. coming up. And it could be nine or 10 times that it's coming up, but really when you analyze it and you think about, okay, what are the patterns that are going on here? You come to the conclusion, right? Because you right. realize it's one big story. So it's seeking out and identifying patterns. And then the fourth thing is relaying it back to them. And just before you get to that, when you're listening to their story or when you're doing your research and you're writing your story, you're looking out for clues to, to your answer. The, the foundation of the approach is a wise question is half the answer. That's the foundation. So this fourth point, relaying it back to them. When they share their story, you then speak back to the person in first person. It's a way to empathize. It really resonates that way when we are channeling the person and their emotional experience. And a story is a feeling and we're sharing with them the truth they already knew. While when you're sharing the story in the first person, it's always good to encourage and find what people are doing right and label those things. If you're fighting with a lot of people, right? Let's say you're arguing with a lot of people and you're saying mm -hmm. this person's rude and this person's not nice and this person did this to me, this person hurt me, right? So what are mm -hmm. the patterns? Who's the common denominator? It's probably you. Then once you remember that, you can change the narrative. The same story happening in different circumstances and the stories are all about the same truth, which is I am getting hurt. The point is, are you the common denominator? So is that a pattern? So the point okay. is once you've picked up the patterns, from that person or from yourself from writing it down to kind of point it out to the person or point it out to yourself and, you know, be creative about it. And, that, you know, you build up your own credibility and or the other person's credibility and then you can point out the truth that they already knew. You can point out the answer, which is the truth of themselves. So they have to be if, receptive. They have to be open to hearing it. Yes. So the way for them to be open to actually hearing it is through these four steps. If you're compassionate enough, enough to let them feel, patient enough to let them talk it out, discerning enough to pick up the patterns of their story. When you share with them, say the story back to them with a little creativity and poetic license. You share it back to them. And then they're hearing it in that first person as if you're them. This is These are the methods that are used when you're uh, doing the counseling program these are like some of the tools is empathy, understanding, um, reflecting back what they just said so they can hear it. So all of these methods are ways of helping counsel people who are coming in, trying to resolve their issues. So it's so interesting that this is from yeah. a Hasidus class and who would have guessed that I'm learning this in graduate school now on how to <laughs> Not interact. surprising. Right. Well, Amazing. Yeah. So saying the story back to them with a little creativity and poetic license and also pointing out to them that it's one story that took place many times, the patterns. Um, so pointing that out to the person and then you'll build up their credibility to tell them the truth that they already knew. Isn't that amazing that the truth is already there? You just yeah. have to seek it out. You have to seek it out. Right. So just, just to take this a step further, and this can perhaps tie in everything for us, or, or someone comes to you for guidance and they're trying to find what they need. But really... It's about what are we needed for? And this is just something to think about going into this new year. He, the Rebbe actually once said to a young man, young man, you speak so much about what you need, but what do you need it for? I, I like to bring in giving, and we had brought it in a little bit into this podcast. We're talking all about self-growth and what we can do for ourselves this year. 
we also have to think about what are we needed for in this world and how can we give to the world. And we need to give actually because giving is a fundamental way to get healthier. It strengthens the immune system and it combats depression. This is something that Rabbi Sachs had shared on our podcast and I love that. Yeah. That we we need to do the self-growth. We need the self-help. We need these tips and tools. At the same time, sometimes we get so caught up in that that we can lose sight of what we are needed for and what our purpose is contributing to this world and making this world a better place. So to just summarize, tip one, clear out clutter, which is looking back at the year, examine what worked, what didn't, and know what you want to do differently this year. Yes. And tip number two is, tip number two is now is the new later, but really just being present and making your journey meaningful and still having your goal at the same time. It's the synthesis in between. Yes. And uh, tip number three is embracing the discomfort that is inherent in your growth journey. It's okay if things are uncomfortable, you can do them anyway, even if you feel like your insides don't always match your outside. If you have an end goal in mind, you'll know what the right thing to do is and you can do it even if it's uncomfortable. Tip number four is being nostalgic for the future. That's right, is to give yourself an A, write a letter dated one year from today and write about how you made the year great. What were the things that you did to make a difference? And that'll lead you hopefully on that path of a self, self-fulfilling prophecy. And tip number five is returning to who we are, to the truth of who we are, and knowing that the question is the answer. It's amazing how much power we have in improving our lives. And that part of that is recognizing how we might be getting in our own way. We can examine what worked for us, what didn't work, you know, become active in making things happen. And remember that even though it might be uncomfortable, that we can still do it. And ultimately, that's what leads us on a path of growth and finding the truth of who we are because it's already there. We just need to seek it out. So do something today that your future self will thank you for. 